Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. For more information, please call 234-803-481-0869 or for free audio downloads, kindly visit www.davidogaga.org. Let's... Uh Continue with our deliberation on the issue of the rapture. And uh, tonight we want to, this is part five so far on this deliberation. Again, we'll just look at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17. Um, as of last week, we tried to look extensively uh, what the what the world the voice of the Lord and trumpet of the Lord really is. Like I said before, uh, we are told when this voice begins to sound, then the Christ shall ask for us. That's what we find in Thessalonians. And we find that this voice also corresponds largely in First Corinthians 15. It produces change. That's what we said. And then in First Thessalonians chapter 4, we're saying it's a trumpet of war call. It's an alarm of war. So, First uh, Thessalonians 4, verse 16, it said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, we can just stop there. Um, we, we take time to look at the issue of the dead in Christ. I don't know if we can get up to that tonight. About who are the dead in Christ that shall rise first. The Bible talks about, when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Praise God. Okay, so, um, and last week I tried to cause you to see that this trumpet is directly connected to the war cry of God. And we looked at Zechariah chapter 9 verse 14. Zechariah 9 verse 14. And, uh, and there the scripture says, And the Lord shall be seen over them. And his arrow shall go forth as a lightning. And the Lord shall blow the trumpet. And shall go with wild winds of the south. Remember that? Very good. So the Lord blows the trumpet. And shall go with the wild wind of the south. And last week I tried to make you see. How that is connected to the book of Luke. When Jesus talks about you can design the times and the season. When you look at the south wind coming. You begin to say it's going to be hot. You can design the times of the season. And then I made you to understand that the language Jesus was using there is really connected to what Zachariah was saying. Because Zachariah here was describing the judgment that was going to come forth. Praise the Lord. And they call it whirlwind of the south. So Jesus said in the book of Luke, when you begin to see the south wind blow, you said it's going to be hot. Because we find that the south wind carries the wind from the desert area into Jerusalem, producing heat. And that heat there equals judgment. So Jesus was saying the south wind is a symbol of judgment that was going to come to Israel. Jerusalem at that time, if you will. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? So what we're saying is that the trumpet call of God is symbolic of God's move against his enemies in warfare. And we read that in Luke again. Let me look at it again. Luke 12.55. Luke 12.55. Very quickly. And that's what it says. 
Luke 12, 55, and when you say the south wind blow, you say there will be heat and it coming to pass. Then 56 says, you hypocrites, you can design the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not design the times? And now the times is referring to you as the time of the judgment that was coming to Jerusalem through the Roman armies. Is that okay? So you find that the south wind is directly connected to judgment. And Jesus was referring this Luke 12, 55, 56, in direct connection to Zechariah 9, verse number 14. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, again, we can look at Isaiah 21, verse 1. So, for the Lord to liken his move, look at Isaiah 21, verse, uh, yeah, verse 1. The burden of the desert of the sea, as wild wings in the south pass through it, so it coming from the desert from a terrible land. You, you see what I mean? There's any time you read about the south wind, it's talking about judgment. So here we find out the move of God speaks of his scattering and destructive power of evil through a people at the sound of the trumpet alarm of God. It is God coming against evil system, evil people, not necessarily in terms of maybe God is going to judge some people in the way we preach it. That is not exactly what he's talking about at this moment of time. Jesus didn't come to destroy but to save that which was lost. Is that okay? Remember what he said in Luke chapter 5, uh, chapter 9, when it was from 51 through 56. The disciples were trying to call them fire from heaven. He told them the Son of Man did not come to destroy lives but to do what? To save lives. So the judgment we're talking about is directly connected to what we said in Jude verse 14. The murmurers, the complainers, and all of those people, how they'll be convicted through this judgment. And remember, Isaiah tells us the same thing, where the judgment upon the earth, the inhabitant of the world will do what? Will learn righteousness. The end product of God's judgment is that people become righteous. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's look at another scripture again. Jeremiah 4 verse 9. Let's see. Jeremiah 4 verse 9. Oh, sorry, verse 19. Jeremiah 4 verse 19. And, uh, my bowels, my bowels, I am pain at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because thou hast, thou hast heard, oh my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Can you get a connection? Remember, First Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will come in a trumpet. Zechariah 9 verse 14, the Lord will come in the wild wind and in the trumpet of war. And so here, Jeremiah is saying, I hear the trumpet of war sounding and I'm pain in my womb. In other words, I'm, I'm seeing the kind of judgment that is coming to the land by reason of the sound of this trumpet of war. Can you get that? Praise the Lord. Okay. So, basically, uh, when you look at Hebrews 1 verse 7, it talks about it making the ministers a flame of fire. Remember that? Very good. So, basically, God is coming through a people to scatter off that which is called evil on the face of the earth. It's God's intention to reveal His truth, to reveal His righteousness, like we always read from the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 1, looking at verse 10, and then you'll be able to see when it comes to be glorified, in his saints and to be admired in them 
and that we believe in those days. Like we can see here. So when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. This is the key point. He comes to be glorified in his saints and he uses his saints as instrument of judgment, not punishment, judgment. I want you to get the basic thing here. There's a difference between punishment and what? Judgment. For God, when his judgment are upon the land, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. The saints are not coming for punishment. They are coming for judgment. And I want you to capture that because very, very important. See, help me Lord. Let me read a scripture. Let's keep this place in your Bibles. But let's go down to Ephesians. Let's go down to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. I'll show you something there. Ephesians 2. Uh, the Bible says, and when we were dead in sin and trespasses, I mean dead in sins, had he quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Look at verse 6. And I raised us up, sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, the verse 5 is the key thing. By grace ye are saved. We have been raised up. Now, we are raised up, saved by grace, sitting together with Christ. Now tell me. If you've been sitting to, or you're sitting together with Christ and you are raised by grace, the only thing you have that you can dispense is not about what? Grace. The people that God is going to use on the next move of God on the face of the earth is directly connected to those who have received grace and they understood that it's only by grace that they've come to the place here. So you knowing that you are saved by grace, you are not going to judge people because they are in sin. Is anybody understanding this? You are communicating grace so that they too will receive grace and be saved. So these are grace company people. Praise the Lord. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, this thing, see, I, I told you the other time. I'm not so impressed, and you have never impressed me one bit of all that Peter did to Ananias and Sapphira. I, I didn't see anything special about that it was just a puffed up pride in him you know otherwise like i said before you are somebody who denied jesus three times can you imagine you are just equal to judas judas denied jesus you deny jesus right jesus could forgive you but somebody lied about money you killed the person i mean tell me what you think you're doing and you think it's a show of power no Praise the Lord. So you see, even if the husband have died, he should have been able to forgive the wife. You understand that? The truth is, he never understood the fact that he is saved by grace. Huh? Even, even, even to talk about knowing the Lord. You think sometimes, can somebody help me read Acts chapter 14, 16. Let me see if that's what I wanted. Or 16, 14. First checks 14, 16, let me see. No, go with me, uh, 16, 14, let me see. 16, 14, the book of Acts. Good. 16, 14. Look at this scripture. And the Bible says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Theatra, which worshiped God, had us, whose heart, listen closely, whose heart the Lord had done what? Opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Whose heart God has opened. So in fact, you can't receive God. You can't know God. You can't believe God. Except God opens your heart. You can't understand even what I'm saying now. Except your heart is opened. This is what people don't understand. And they think they came to the Lord all by themselves. 
No, it's not true. Okay, let me show you another scripture in regard to that. Romans chapter 2. Uh, Romans chapter 2. Let's look at just verse 4. Praise God. It says, All despised thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to what? Repentance. It's a question. Do you despise that? Is God goodness? Is long suffering? Is forbearance that leadeth thee? You are led by God to repentance. So even if you think I gave my life to God, you don't, you didn't understand what happened. God touched your heart, opened your heart, and then you gave your heart. You never come on your own to submit your heart. Nobody does that. Does anybody understand what I'm saying here? So I'm saying the men that will execute this judgment of God, they are the men that have the understanding that I'm saved by grace, and these men also need to be, you know, I don't want to use the word pitied, but we need to understand their state, that they also need grace to come to the place of being saved. Because the goodness of God leads it to what? To repentance. It's not of yourself that you can repent. Praise God. Are we together? So now, what we are seeing in First Thessalonians 4.15 is the war call of God, like we find in the book of Numbers chapter 10, verse number 9. Let's look at Numbers 10, verse number 9. Praise the Lord. Numbers 10, verse 9, and it says, And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppressed you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and it shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and it shall be saved from what? Your enemy. So, here is alarm of war, and that is exactly what you find in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. It's an alarm of war. It's an alarm of war. You can also look at um, Numbers 31, verse 6, for instance. Numbers 31, verse 6. And Moses sent them to the war, a thousand of every tribe, them, and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the war, with the holy instruments, and with the trumpet to blow, what? In his hand. So you go into war, it's there the priest. And this is exactly what I'm saying. We find that the trumpet of God is going to be revealed through the priesthood of this day. The people that God has called to himself, we've got an understanding of who he is, they are the men that are going to stand to blow this trumpet. This trumpet is moving into the hands of the company of priests of God that have come to the place of understanding. They are not only saved by grace, God picked them to become priesthood, for no man taketh his honor unto himself. Praise the Lord. You following that? That is why even if you're preaching, you're teaching, whatever thing you're doing, let our understanding be behind or be at the back of your mind. Now let me say this. The Bible made us understand in the book of Revelation, uh, you can look at 5, 10, or 10, whatever. It made us understand that we are saved through the blood, redeemed from amongst men. Remember that? And it made us priests and kings to do what? To rule. Now, you see, until you are a priest, you can't rule. For God, He didn't just make you kings. You always say kings, we believe kings rule, king make decrees, king have all the powers. 
But the priesthood, I mean the kingship of God, is directly tied to what? To the priesthood. The Melchizedek order. Kings and priests means you are a priest and you are what? A king. You are not just a king. Kings make laws, make decrees, do all of the battles, whatever. But as far as the new order is concerned in what God is doing, we are priests and kings. Now, the priest is the one that stands to reconcile. So if you don't have the spirit of reconciliation, if you don't have the spirit and the grace of mercy flowing in your life, you can't function as a king in this new order. One of the reasons why people cannot truly come to the place of becoming one with God in the way and the things he wants to do is because they want to operate as kings, to make decrees, to make judgment, but they don't have the priesthood grace flowing in their lives. That Christ will reject. Are you following what I'm saying here? Yeah. He made us priests and what? Kings. First priests, then what? Kings. Now if you watch that, what did he tell you in the book of Peter? He said we're a royal what? Priesthood. He didn't say we're a royal kingshood. We're a royal priesthood. That's the first thing. Praise God. So I want you to get that. It's the trumpet of war. So this trumpet call of God is not just an ordinary call or a message like any other. But it's a call to arm, to bring to subjection, self and human ego. I want you to understand the things that this trumpet is judging in your life as you hear the sound. For it's not like I'm talking about the priesthood now. You begin to see that the element of pride in your life that makes you feel you are such a king. How many of you have had people say, well, don't you know you're a king? You're a king of the earth. you king, you know. You pride yourself of being a king. But if you understand that you can't really function as a king in God's kingdom without first being a priest, then that spirit, that ego in your life is dying down right now as I'm talking to you. Why? Because you are hearing the trumpet call. It's a message that destroys every pride in your life. The ego in man. This is a message that destroys it. So when God is sending forth the alarm of war or the call of war, it's not to judge what you call enemies outside. It's primarily to judge the enemies on your inside. Until you conquer the enemies in your inside, on your inside, you can't conquer the enemy on the outside. This is what you must understand about this trumpet call. It's a message that works on you. It brings you to the place of humility and submission to the will and the purposes of God. You walk in the light of the direction of God and not the way you think or the way you feel. Praise God. Let me give you a scripture here. Jeremiah 10.23 Jeremiah 10.23 Jeremiah 10 chapter 10 verse 23 O Lord I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to do what? Direct his steps. Did you get that? So I'm talking about the people whose will is not the will of God. Now I don't have problem with people who say man have will or self will, whatever the case may be. But if you truly study the scriptures, you don't have a will. You are a slave. And no slave have a will. So it's either you are a slave to sin or you are a slave to Christ. You don't have a choice. You got to walk in the dictate of the one who is your master. It's as simple as that. 
Are you there with me? Paul, we said, I want to go here. The Spirit constrained me. I want to do the, the Spirit constrained me. Why do you think the Spirit is constraining him when he wants to? Because he's a slave of the Lord. So it's not a man to direct his steps. What am I saying? You can at this stage of your life, hearing what I'm hearing, think that you can do things the way you want without the leadership of the Spirit, without the understanding of what God has in mind for His people. I am saying you can't be a king in this kingdom without first being a priest. And one of the spirit of priesthood is that of mercy and reconciliation. The priests who have to sacrifice the animal for the people's sins to be forgiven. These are people who forgive sins, if you will. The priesthood is the realm where the sins of men are forgiven, where the sacrifices are made, where they stand on behalf of the people to God to plead for mercy and reconciliation. Praise God. So this is a war cry that destroys all human ego. When as we march army and with principalities and power with all our wills being broken, that we might, we might fully be empowered by him to go forth and to conquer even the beast in political system, government, religion, and the heart of man. Praise God. Please look at this. When Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, even when Jesus was speaking to the the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You know what he said? He said, didn't our heart born when he was talking with us? You remember that? Good. When Peter was preaching, the Bible said, they were pricked at heart and they said, brethren, what shall we do? That's the priesthood. Your words are as powerful at any point in time. That is speaking to people, you bring them to, I won't say conversion, fine, but realization. A rediscovery of who they are. And they turn from the way they were going to the way of the Lord. By your message, through your words. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. So it had nothing to do with a literal trumpet sounding some days to come. That will enable you to fly away. It's a realm of the anointing with the eagle's eye. Vision for the prey. In other words, you see things that God himself sees what I mean by that is you hate what God hates you love what God loves praise the living God we're talking about the victory over sin which is guaranteed and the last enemy to be destroyed is death producing a total restoration of man back to the image of his creator as it were in Christ praise the living God Again, we we'll look at this from Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. Uh, coming to the image. Colossians 3 verse 10. The Bible says, And I put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Now go to Ephesians 1. Look at verse 10 for me. Ephesians 1 verse number 10. Ephesians 1. That in the dispensation... You've been renewed into the image that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in all in one all things that are in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are what? On earth, even in him. We come into the place of the fullness exactly the way he is. Is that okay? All things be gathered together. So, all of, on the personal level, oh help me Lord. 
Get this right. Man is a garden that was placed in the garden. And this is very important for us to understand. First Corinthians 3 verse 9, the Bible says you are the garden of the Lord. Did he say so? Very good. So if you are the garden of the Lord, and then a man was in the garden, so man is a garden that was in the garden. <laughs> are you there with me? Meaning, all the fruits you were supposed to eat and not to eat, they are still in you. Huh? The tree they ate was not of good and evil. People are, com- are debating about it. That's a literal tree. is something else. I have no problem. Is that okay? Now, all, all we can tell is they fell because they ate a tree. Now, but here the Bible is saying we need to get back to that same image they were through what? Through knowledge. So what tree are we eating from? Are you there with me? We got tree of life. So where do you think you find a tree? It's within you. So man is a garden within a garden. A microcosm of a microcosm. Smaller garden, a bigger garden. You are a wall within a wall. Are you understanding me? So far, if you have to deal with enemies on the outside, then there are enemies you must deal with on your inside. Praise God. All right. So let's deal with the issue of 1 Thessalonians again, chapter 4. I'm trying to see what I can do to round up this thing, basically. 1 Thessalonians 4 again, chapter 4, verse... No, let's look at that verse uh, 16. And then, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise for us. Right? Already, you, 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 you are true with the understanding as to what the trumpet is. Am I correct? Very good. And uh, the word archangel doesn't mean um, angel, angel. No. You see, this is what we think. This is what we think. Uh, we think that angels are creatures with wings. The way we've been taught before. Right? Very good. Right. Creatures with wings. That is the chief angel among them. Um, whatever. But you see, the word arch there means chief angel. And uh, most people think Michael is the chief angel, Gabriel is the second man in command or something like that. No, it's all wrong theology. Um, the chief angel, if you must understand, is actually Christ himself. Is that okay? Because the word Michael, the word Michael means who is like God. And only Christ is like God. Is that okay? You know, and they look at the book of Daniel, you find it there, Daniel 12, I think verse 1, is the angel of the people of God. Praise the Lord. Okay, so you understand that. So the trump of God is trump of war, like I said before, Zechariah 9 verse 4 proved that. Now, but we want to deal with the issue of the dead in Christ. Praise the Lord. What does it mean? Uh, so, we have, this is basically the thought category. All right, praise the Lord. So, um, I'm talking about the dead in Christ, right? Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, I, I'll show you something first. You go back again to verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4, so that you can get something, because this is basically um, the third category of the Christian Here we find that, but I will not have you to be ignorant Brethren, concerning 
them which are asleep. That is sorrow not, even as unto that which have no hope. Sleep. Then the next one, verse 15. For if we believe that Jesus, for this we say, no, 14. 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so they also who sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. Is that okay? Now the next one. He said, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that they which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. I've tried to explain this to you sometime. The word alive and remain means you are alive unto righteousness, but as my aspect of you are yet to come to the place of fullness. I explained that to you. In the book of Luke, you find that Jesus said, or because it's a parable, we are told the prodigal son, when he was coming back home, the father said, This my son was dead, but now his world is alive. The world there is Anazoe. He's dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Was he lost in the bush? No, he was lost in his mind. You are lost in your thinking. So when he says he's dead and now he's alive, what does that mean? He's coming back to the life of the father. He's left the realm of deadness. So to be dead and remain means, or to be alive and remain means you've come to the place of righteousness, but some aspect of you are still dead. Is that okay? So we find the first category people here have been dealt with is those who sleep in Jesus. The second category has to do with those who are alive and remain. And then the third category that I want to deal with today is the dead in Christ. So we have three categories of people in this passage in relation to resurrection. Praise the living God. And so he said, And the dead in Christ arise first at the word of command, at the sound of the archangel's voice and God's trumpet call. As the Lord himself descend from heaven. Now, I would like us to remind ourselves again that those who sleep in the Lord are those who lay down their physical bodies, the draw of the flesh, as believers. Praise the Lord. So, what do we mean to be dead in Christ? There's a big difference, I want to repeat again, there's a big difference between dead in Christ and sleeping Jesus. If you sleep in Jesus, that means you are buried in the cemetery. But if you are dead in Christ, it doesn't mean you are buried in the cemetery. And I'll make you see that. Praise the Lord. Dead in Christ. Uh, what scripture am I going to use first of all now? Let me just... Uh, let's quickly look at Romans. Romans chapter 6. Let's look at 6 to to eight Romans six verse six to eight. Knowing this that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ we believe that we shall live also with him. Praise the Lord. 
Okay. Look at Colossians 3. Let's look at 1 to 3. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where can sit at on the right hand of God. Look at verse 1. Verse 1. Verse 1. You start with verse 1. Okay. Go to verse 2. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Verse 3. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in who? In God. Praise the Lord. This is very crucial. Now let's go back again to that Luke chapter 6. And let's take it from, if need be, very fast from verse 1. There is something I will need to point out to you. And it came to pass on the second... No, 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 no. Romans chapter 6, I said. Romans 6. Praise the Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in seeing that grace may abound? Verse 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dealt to sin? I want you to look at this. That are dead. Mark it in your Bible. That are dead to sin. Live any longer therein. Dead to sin. Okay. Look at Ephesians 2. And verse number 1 and 2. Keep this place. And ye had a quickened who were dead in sin. I mean, sin and what? Transpasses. Where in time past you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, and now walking the children of disobedience. I want you to see the two there. I mean, those two words. Those simple propositions are so powerful. Look at the verse 1 again. Ephesians chapter 1. I mean, chapter 2 verse 1. And ye had equipped who were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead in. Dead in. Okay. Romans chapter 6 again, verse number 2. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin? Can you see the difference? Very good. If you are dead to sin, Christ rules your life. If you are dead in sin, sin rules your life. That's all. So, those who are dead to sin are the same people who are dead in Christ. Praise God. Is it making sense to you? Now, these simple prepositions, to and in, by, they are so powerful in scripture, but people don't understand how strong these simple prepositions are. To be dead to sin means sin is not controlling you. To be dead in sin means sin is controlling you. Period. And if sin is not controlling you, then Christ is controlling you. So if Christ is controlling you, then you are dead in Christ. Hallelujah. So simply means, to be dead in Christ means you are alive unto righteousness. That is, you are no longer under the control of sin or the power of it, but rather under the control of the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. What is the implication of this? These simple words that I would like you to take note of. Words like in sin, in Christ, to sin. Dead in sin, dead in Christ, dead to sin. I mean, they are so powerful. They have a lot of implications that you need to study out. Anytime you are reading the Bible. Praise the Lord. So, dead in Christ, which simply means you are now be controlled, I repeat, 
by the power of God, which is completely different from your control by the power of the prince of the air, the spirit that now walketh in the children of disobedience. According to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 2. Praise the Lord. So now, if that is correct, or if it is understood from that perspective, what then do we mean? First Thessalonians 4.15 We're talking about those who are being controlled by who? By Jesus. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 15 For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that they which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent their which are asleep. Verse number 16 For the Lord is yet are descend from heaven with the voice with the voice of archangel and what? The trump of God and then what? The dead in Christ. Who are the people who shall rise first? The dead in Christ. Not those who are asleep. Not those who are alive and remain. You need to get this. Is it making sense to you? So it's not as if when the trumpet sounds and those in the cemetery. Those in the cemetery are those who are dead. I mean they are sleeping Jesus. Those to rise first are those who are dead in Christ. And again, what other word will you use for those who are dead in Christ? They are dead to sin. Good, you got it. Those who rise first are those who are dead to sin. Are we together? Am I helping you tonight? <laughs> so we're saying that those who are dead in Christ are those who are being controlled by the holy and the righteous power of Christ. Therefore, these are the people the Bible refers to to be dead to sin. In other words, they cannot live any longer on their own. They are being controlled by the Spirit of God. Praise the Lord. Let's look at 1 Peter 2 verse 24. 1 Peter 2 verse 24 tells us something but very critical. Praise the Lord. So who his own self bear our sins and his body talking about Christ, nobody on the tree, that we being dead to sins. Hallelujah. To live unto righteousness by which stripes you are here. Those who are dead to sin live in righteousness. And that Bible is saying these are the people that shall do what? Rise first. Why? Because they have the righteousness of God in them. Praise the Lord. Are you with me? Whew. Get this right. The word of God cannot be comprehended by human intellect. You can't truly understand God's word through just human intellect. That is why we're having this problem we're having in the body of Christ. Men teach all kind of things, thinking that it is how vibrant you are. Secularly, if I may use the word, that makes you understand the Bible. That's not true. If you understand that the scriptures were inspired by the Spirit and the prophet wrote, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, then you must come to the place of understanding as well that it takes the Holy Spirit who wrote the book to interpret the book to you understand it. It's not a natural book. 
I spoke to somebody recently. This is not a literature book. Praise the living God. And if it's a literature book, for instance, if it's a, if it's a poetic book, poetry, for instance, you have to enter into the spirit of the poet to understand the lyrics, I mean the, the rhymes anybody have written. Am I correct? You must enter into the spirit of the author of such one for you to be able to grasp what the person is talking about. So this is a spiritual book. You can't read it in a literal sense. So you talk about those who are dead. Oh, they are those who are buried with a coffin. Nothing to do with that. And by the way, I told you here sometime, and you must understand it, there is nobody in the cemetery. Go and dig it up. You can't find anybody there. So, how is it when the trumpet sound? They are going to... Oh my goodness. I repeat again, nobody is in the cemetery. No, this, you even say it. You want to bury somebody. What's the next thing you see? Dust unto dust. Artists unto us. Isn't that what you say? So is it the dust are going to rise again on the third day or whatever? You're wasting time. There is, everything is gone back to dust. From this earth that you were made of, everything dissolves. Bones with time dissolves. So what are we talking about? And they will teach you, oh, come on. When the trumpet sound, all the flesh will be gathered from where they are. Ask a question. There are people during the Nigeria Civil War that died in the sea. I was born in the River Niger. Right? Fish have eaten some of these people. And somebody caught the fish and ate the fish. So what up? <laughs> they, they're eating dead people. Then you take the fish, you eat the fish. Buy the fish from the market. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You took that in and so automatically you are eating dead people in your body. Now okay, the trumpet sound like the dead out of the gutter from wherever they are. So some of your body will go out. <laughs> Praise God. We have no understanding of what we are teaching. Hmm? Some animals, maybe must have eaten some dead calves and then the hunter went there, shot down the animal. Are you there with me? And bring the animal to the market and they sold the animal. You eat up the dead people that the animals have eaten. And when the trumpet sound. Now, the dead man you have eaten wants to locate himself. So he's going to get out of your body. Some of you will become empty. Not in you because all the dead people you have eaten have gone out. <laughs> Which part of you is going to rise now? We are too childish in our interpretation of scriptures. Are you with me? You see, when a man dies, Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7, when a man dies, the spirit goes back to God who gave it. It's not dealing with the flesh. Okay, oh my God. Can I continue? But 1 Corinthians 15 verse 35, take it, give it to me from a very small, simpler translation. Simpler translation, 1 Corinthians 15. Some skeptic is sure to ask, show me how resurrection works. Are you there with me? Some skeptics, this message translation. Some skeptics is short to ask. Show me how resurrection works. Give me a dialogue, a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? Look at the next thing. Verse 30. If you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We don't have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed. Soon there is a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between seed and the plants. You could never guess what a tomato will look like by looking at a tomato seed. What you plant in the soil 
And what grows out of it doesn't look anything alike. The dead body that was buried in the ground and the resurrection that body comes with it will be dramatically what? Different. Praise the Lord. You follow what I'm saying here? They are not the same thing. When a man is buried in the grave, God gives the body, that body a different thing. Go read it again. He takes another body and he moves on. You don't see anybody in the cemetery. Only together. So the dead in Christ have nothing to do with those who are buried in the cemetery. They have to do with those who are dead to sin. Is that making sense for you? Praise the Lord. Okay. So the truth of the matter is this. Those who are dead in Christ are those living the life of God. Fully controlled by his indwelling power. Wholly separated from sin. Spirit, soul and body. With their thoughts and actions totally taken over by the consciousness of the Christ spirit. The Holy Spirit gave a graphic picture of these people in Revelation 14. We can look at it from verse 1 to 5. I think we're going to stop there tonight. Uh, Revelation 14, King James, 1 to 5. Praise the Lord. And I look and lo, a lion stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. This is very important. Go down, verse 2. Okay, and I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and of the voice of the great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their hearts. Harp speaks of victory, speaks of praise. And they sang, as it were, a new song, before the throne, and before the Lamb, the four beasts. And the elders and no man could learn that song by the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. This song is a song of the redeemed. We have a song of deliverance. We have a song of redeemed. The song of deliverance was a song written by Moses. Exodus 15. He wrote the song of deliverance after they crossed the Red Sea. Jesus sang... Is the song of redemption. We are redeemed in Christ. Not just delivered. We are redeemed in Christ. So there is a song that we sing. That is completely different from the song of those who are just delivered. We are not singing the song of deliverance. We are singing the song of redemption. You hearing me? Okay. Verse 4. Bible said these are they which were not defiled with women. Now I want you to get this. For they are virgins, these are they which follow the Lamb with their silver he goeth. These were redeemed from amongst men, being the first fruit unto God and to the Lamb. They were not defied by women. What does that mean? Is it women that defy men or men defies women? What it means here, these are people who are not corrupted by the church system in their thinking. Their theology is right, their understanding is right. The Bible said they follow the Lamb with their silver the goeth. He said they are virgins. Okay, and then the next thing he said, they are first fruits unto God. Give me James chapter 1 verse 18, very quickly. And we're going to stop there tonight. James chapter 1 verse 18. Verse 18, 1-8. The Bible says, of his own will, begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be what? A kind of first fruits. Can you get that? First fruit of what? His creatures. So what makes you a first fruit? Through the word of God. You are better by the word of God. You become a first fruit. 
And because you are following the word, you become a virgin before God. In other words, you are not corrupted by the system of men. You are not corrupted by the tradition of elders. You are not corrupted by mystery Babylon. According to Revelation chapter 13 and 17. That is sitting upon many waters. You are not corrupted by all of the system. Is that okay? That's what makes you a virgin. And so what's the next thing? These virgins have the name. What's the name of God? It's not Jehovah. It's not El Shaddai. What's the name of God? The nature of God. The characteristic of God is written in your forehead. What's that supposed to mean? You have the right mind just as Christ we have. You think the way God thinks. You act the way God acts. You forgive those He forgives. You redeem those He redeems. Are you following what I'm talking about? You have the nature of God written in your mind. You walk by His nature. Remember that. When He asked Moses, show me your name. What did God tell Moses in the book of Exodus? Mercy, love, long-suffering, meekness, gentleness. Are you getting what I'm talking about? These are the nature of God. In fact, you don't look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. It gives you the nature of God. Now, this nature is written in your forehead, meaning you think through these spirits, these graces in the Holy Spirit. With that, what am I trying to make you understand? You are a redeemed creature. Not only that, you are dead in who? In Christ. So to be dead in Christ is to be controlled by the Spirit of Christ. Praise the living God. I'll see you next week.